So I got a word for you today. I got to be honest, church. I got a word for you and I'm excited to preach it. If you wanted a title for this message, I would simply call it Your Next Level. I'm going to encourage you today, I believe, through the Word of God. I I believe God's Word, you know, as we open His Word, I think it's important that we also open our hearts and open our minds, amen? We're not just in church today to go through the motions or, you know, kind of fulfill some religious obligation. We're here to encounter a living God through His living Word, amen? And so I want to speak to you today about this subject of your next level, because I believe this, this is kind of the premise of my message today, is God has more for you than you're experiencing right now. How many believe that to be true? God has more for you, amen? God has more for you than you are experiencing right now. I wanna give you a couple of scriptural promises. I could give you dozens of them. I had to narrow it down to three though. One of my favourite Psalms, Psalm 87 says this. It says, they go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. They go, listen, from strength to strength, from strength to strength until each appears before God in Zion. It speaks to this idea of a journey of ever increasing strength. By the way, a couple of verses before, I love this summit. So, you know, it says, blessed are those who set their hearts on pilgrimage. It's a journey, right? It says, when they pass through the valley of Baca, which means weeping, they turn it into a place of springs. In other words, they transform the world as they journey through it. And then this, this verse, it says, these people, those who are on a pilgrimage, those who are believing to make a difference in the world around them, hey, they're gonna go from strength to strength until each appears before God in Zion. Second Corinthians in the New Testament, chapter three, verse 18 says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. What image? The image of the Lord. We're being transformed into His likeness, in other words. Listen, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We're being transformed, what? From glory to glory, from strength to strength, from glory to glory. One more. Proverbs 15, 24, what a great promise. It says, the way of life winds upward for the wise that he may turn away from hell below. The way, it says, of life winds upward for the wise. If we will live according to the ways of God, the Word of God, if we would apply the wisdom of God, the promise here is that our life is gonna wind upward. Now that doesn't, that doesn't mean always exponential. It's not a perfect straight up and to the right kind of a graph, is it? It says it winds up. There's gonna be some twists, some turns. Sometimes it'll feel like two steps forward, one step back, but the long arc, the narrative, the direction of your life is clear. If you continue to follow God, He's gonna cause you to wind your life upward. See, I believe this, our God, is a God of process and progress. Our God is a God of process. In other words, the Bible talks a lot about the ways of God. He He has a way, a way that He wants us to learn to live. He's a God of process and a God of progress. 
If I was preaching in New York, I might adapt my accent somewhat. Process and progress. But since I'm an Australian with a somewhat mutated accent now, I'm in no man's land. Pray for me, church, because apparently I sound American to Australians and Australian to Americans. That's what 10 years in New York has done. My accent is like lost now. But anyway, how God, you know, is... uh, a God of process and progress. And the, the, the Bible shows us this principle. In fact, really, if I was to step back from this for a moment, I, I, this idea particularly of progress is, if you look at world philosophy, you look at world history, I think it's fair to say that this is really a distinctly Judeo-Christian view of the world. If you look at, you know, kind of society without God, if you look at a pagan worldview, if you look, if you look even at a lot of Eastern philosophy and Eastern religion, or if you look at, look at ideas like reincarnation, you know, the, this idea embedded into our mindset of progress is actually something that comes from the promises of God and what we see modelled in Scripture. Now in the West, of course, that idea is there now. It's sort of like, for a lot of people, though, it's like the, the kingdom without the king now. But, the, but what we don't realise is even our very view of life and how it's supposed to be, that it's supposed to get better, actually comes from the promises of God, even for those who wouldn't call them followers, themselves followers of Christ today. You know, if you look at Abraham, he's called out of, you know, a land, he's you know, to leave his father and his father's household, go to a land that I would show you, God had said. He, he's given a, a promise, he's... he's told that he'll be the father of nations, you know, as many as the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. And, you know, he's blessed to be a blessing, called to take dominion in a land. It's it's this idea, there's going to be a process and there's going to be progress. You know, um, the whole story of the Israelites was the same thing, a better future, reaching for the next level. Here's the thing though, this is personal today. I'm not just sort of speaking about philosophy and history. This is a personal promise for you that there's more for you. There's more for you. There's more for Liberty Church London. Amen. I mean, we are, we're so grateful for where we are. But I'll tell you this, we're not settling where we are (laughs) because there's more. Amen. There's more people that need the hope we found in Jesus. There's more people that need to discover that the gospel really is good news. There's more people that need to experience community, more churches to be planted. But it's personal. You know, part of the mission of our church we talk about if you make Liberty Church home, our hope is that you'd experience three things, that you'd follow Jesus, thrive in community, and make a difference. But I think that middle piece is what we're speaking about today. What's it look like to thrive in community? I believe you and I were designed for community, not to do life alone, but we're also designed to thrive. And for me, that speaks to every area of life. So in other words, to apply it to the message today, if God has another level for you, and I have an absolute conviction that He does, I believe that's true right across the spectrum of your life. This is not just about you having more spiritual knowledge. Amen to that. But I believe there's more for you in your emotional health, in your mental well-being, more for you in your, in your relationship, in your finances, in your career. I believe there's, there's more for you. And some of you might be thinking, is this a leadership message? And I guess in some ways you could say yes. So if there's any part of you that thinks, well, I'm no leader, well, hold that thought for a minute. Because I believe that you are. For one thing, we all have to apply self-leadership. So the principles I'm speaking to today about how you and I reach for our next level in life apply to leading ourselves. But listen, just by virtue of being a follower of Jesus, which many of us in the room are today, I believe God sees you as a leader in the earth to be a difference maker. So we ought to see ourselves as leaders. But here's the catch. Is... 
as much as it's true that there's another level for you, here's the catch. We don't automatically progress to the next level in life. How many have found that to be true? Actually, there are choices, challenges, and changes that we must face. It doesn't automatically happen. Because see, what a lot of people will do with this message is they kind of mentally tune out because they think, well, if God's promised me another level, I'm just going to sit back. (laughs) It's just going to happen. It's my destiny, right? Well, how many know that it's not quite as simple as that? God, in all of His infinite power, chose partnership with you and I. Chose to empower you and I, to make us powerful people as we preached on just recently, amen? So there are choices that we must make. There are challenges that we need to face and oftentimes changes that we have to make along the way too. I wanna show it to you from Scripture today. In the life of a character that I love, uh, I, I wanna speak to you from a chapter in the life of Moses who is undoubtedly, just to be clear, undoubtedly one of the greatest leaders in the Bible. And rightly so, his story has inspired generations, I mean, millennia of people with his faith. And um, I mean, his whole story is incredible. You know, he lives in a time when the Israelites are in slavery in Egypt and the Pharaoh, you know, scared, intimidated by the, the prospering of the Israelites, you know, kills the babies and Moses is miraculously spared and in a beautiful twist of kind of God irony ends up being raised in the house of Pharaoh in a place of privilege. And, and, uh, and then God encounters him through a burning bush and speaks to him, commissions him, you know, to send him back before Pharaoh to, to say, let my people go. And God does these incredible signs. As much as Moses feels like he's not up to the task and He says, you know, I'm no public speaker, basically to paraphrase is his defense. Like, really, me? Why me? And uh, God uses him and the plagues come and the people are delivered. And the Pharaoh reluctantly lets them go. Then he changes his mind, chases them down with his army. And the army drowns in the Red Sea. God parts the sea. I mean, what a story, right? And at the helm all this time, Moses, this man, trying to lead God's people and feeling unqualified, but clearly used by God. So he's a hero of the faith, right? And yet, all of that being true, and yet, he reached a place where he faced choices, challenges, and yes, changes in order to go to his next level of life and leadership. And that's what I want to show you today, because in the midst of great success and breakthrough, Moses discovers there's another level that he needs to get to if he's going to reach his God-given potential. We're going to pick it up in a moment in Exodus 18. But what's interesting about this story, so so all of what I told you, much of that narrative is the backstory to this moment. They've come out of Egypt. God has delivered them. You know, they they have this incredible, you know, on the edge of of this journey now toward the promised land, what's been looked forward to for generations and the promises of God. And in the midst of all of that, his father in law, Jethro, arrives. And the Bible records in the first half of Exodus 18, Moses tells him the story, what a deliverer our God is. And, and they spend this night celebrating. It says they feast and so they should. I, I, would you love to be a fly on the wall for that conversation? Hearing Moses tell the stories of all that God had done. And they, they feast and they laugh and they celebrate and they fall asleep. And then we pick it up in Exodus 18, verse 13. The next day, <laughs> the day after all of that celebration, the next day, 
Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. And they waited before him from morning till evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? And Moses replied, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. And when a dispute arises, they come to me. I'm the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. This is not good. (laughs) Feedback. (laughs) This is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. You're gonna wear yourself out and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now, listen to me and let me give you a word of advice and may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to Him. Teach them God's decrees and give them His instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives, but select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,000, 150, and 10, and They should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring the major cases to you. Let the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves and they will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. If you follow this advice, and if God commands you to do so, then you will be able to endure the pressures and all these people will go home in peace. We're going to do a little Bible study here this morning. I'm certainly not here. The spirit of this message is not to look back with the benefit of 2020 hindsight and critique Moses' leadership. That's not the point here. The point here is how often have you and I done and thought the very things that Moses is doing and thinking that has caused him to reach a limitation in his leadership? I think the benefit for us today is to look back and say, in what ways am I living that caused me right now to not reach my next level. But let's empathize for a minute. How do you think Moses felt when Jethro turns up and his, his summary after watching Moses work for a day is, this is not good. <laughs> Can anybody imagine that was probably the exact opposite of what Moses was not only probably hoping for, I mean, we're always hoping for good feedback, but, but probably even logically expecting, Right? I mean, God's done all these things. They got out of Egypt. Like we survived, like, yay for God. This is amazing. Like we made it. And I'm working my butt off over here, trying to lead these people and do all this judging. And your feedback is not good. Like really, that's what you got, Jethro? Like, thanks. I think it would have been the opposite of what he expected. And have you ever done that? Like worked really hard on something and then somebody gave you like, that's not good kind of feedback. That would have stung, right? Another translation says, the thing that you do is not good. (laughs) The thing that you do. It's like, I don't know. What went wrong here though? Because I want to be clear on what's not wrong. A couple of things did not go wrong here. Number one, Moses is not committing sin. Nobody's saying, Moses, you're sinning. And that happened plenty in the history of Israel. A lot of times they're ups and downs. The leadership got into sin and everything started to fall apart. That's not what's going on here. And he's also not out of the will of God. He's not in sin and he's not out of the will of God. He's right where God would have him, leading the people. You know, but something, something's broken here. And it's also, to be clear, I'm not suggesting for a minute that he's a bad leader. He's an incredible leader. But he has another level that he needs to go to. 
You, to put it a different way, you could say that, that he, he's, he has a lid. There's a, a leadership author, John Maxwell, prolific writer on the subject of, of leadership, and he famously coined the term the law of the lid. And uh, one of the definitions that they offer for the law of the lid is this. Is the lower an individual's ability to lead, the lower the lid on his potential. So in other words, your leadership level functions like a lid. The higher an individual's ability to lead, the higher the lid on his or her potential. Personal and organizational effectiveness is proportionate to the strength of leadership. So we got to keep on raising the lid, raising our level of leadership, if you like, in order to go to another level personally. So case in point, Way back in the day when we first started Liberty Church and we were a church with a big dream, but ultimately we had one community in downtown Manhattan. You know, in those early days, I did all the rosters for the teams and uh, I used cutting edge technology, you might not have heard of it, Excel, uh, <laughs> spreadsheets, people, and emails. And I would roster all the teams, who's on hosts, who's on the worship team, what are we gonna sing? I did everything and uh you know, I was doing all the admin. How, how, you know, I, I confirm with people who's going to be there. Now, that's an important job that needs to get done. But how many think that it might have been a lid for both for me and for our church if, if we were still there today? If now with, you know, eight communities in five cities in three time zones, you know, if I'm still trying to roster London from New York on my Excel spreadsheet, how many think we might be in a whole world of pain right now? That we wouldn't be able to go where we've gone and do what we're doing now. And that's just a silly specific example, but times that by a thousand and many things just like it. There are levels that you and I need to be get, uh, willing to go to. And it's clear here, Moses had hit some kind of a lid and it was impacting his potential going forward. So let's ask a series of questions if you're taking notes that I think you and I could reflect on ourselves. And I want us to consider how can we learn from Moses' story, because I think it's instructive to you and I here today in 2020. Number one, first question is this. It's a reflection piece. What was Moses doing that limited his leadership? I think it's useful for us to ask questions as we read the Bible. Amen to just reading the Bible. But you know, sometimes we're not reflective. Sometimes we're not asking questions. Sometimes we're not putting ourselves in the story. And so we read the Bible as if it was any other book, just like an academic piece. And it's much more than that. The Bible is speaking to us if we'll allow it. So I want this story to speak to me. And I want to reflect on this question. What was Moses doing? This is one layer of it that limited his leadership. I want to read again verses 13 and 14. And just look for what he's doing here. Next day, the next day, Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. And they waited before him from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? A couple of thoughts here. I don't know what you notice, but I notice at least three things that Moses is doing that are limiting him. And the first is, he's working from morning till night. That might sound like a good thing, but it's really not a good thing that Moses is working from morning till night. And we get a sense here that this is not just a freak occasion, but that this is kind of Moses every day. And we get that sense because the people are all standing around 
And because when Jethro challenges him, he doesn't, his defense is not like, well, you know what, it was just a little backed up today, but it's not normally like this. No, his, his response we'll get to in a minute. He's working from morning till evening. And secondly, he does all the judging himself. I get this mental picture of like, like the shopping center, the mall at Christmas time, Santa, and all the kids, you know, or like if you've ever been to like Disneyland or one of those theme parks with those deceptive queues, the lines where they have everybody, you think you're getting near the front, but you're a million miles away, right? You know, like the line is snake. That's what I'm imagining with Moses, all these people waiting. And he's doing, he's, in fact, that's one of Jethro's critiques. Why are you trying to do all this, keyword, alone? And then the third thing is what he says right after that is that all the people are standing around. So he's working all day. He's doing it all himself. And meanwhile, everyone else is just standing around. Now, those are the things that are right there on the surface for us to kind of mine from Moses' story. But to me, it's important to look at what he's doing. And we could just sort of stop the message here and say, don't do that. Don't just work all day. Don't do it all yourself. Don't have everybody standing around. But it's probably more helpful for us to go a layer deeper, because I don't know about you, but I've discovered that it's generally my mindsets that drive my actions. So it's possibly even more helpful for us to try and look for the way Moses was thinking and ask ourselves how we might, because sometimes we might think like Moses, but do different things to express those limitations. So the second question is what mindsets were holding Moses back? If we have the wrong mindset or if our mindset is on the wrong level, that we shouldn't be surprised if we can't reach our next level in life. Albert Einstein famously said, we cannot solve our problems with the same level of thinking that created them. So what he's saying here is that the problems that we're experiencing, or in this instance that he's saying we created, (laughs) if we want to resolve those problems, then we need to go to a different level of thinking in order to get past them. So what's Moses' response? We're gonna, let's just kind of lean in and try and listen for the mindset in Moses' defense. It's other places in this passage too, but I think you see it in verses 15 and 16, how he's thinking. This is Moses' response to, why are you working all day? Why is everybody standing around? Why do you do all this by yourself? Here's his response. Because, verse 15, the people come to me to get a ruling from God. And when a, a dispute arises, they come to me and I'm the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. So what's the mindset here? I notice a few things. The first thing I notice is how much he said me and I. Did anybody else notice that in those two sentences? He literally, actually, if you summarize it down, he says, me, me, I, 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 Captain. Me, me, I, I is what he actually says. Like, they come to me, they come to me, I inform, I give them his instructions. That's, that's this, me, me, I, I. There's a lot of, like he's focused quite on himself here. Now I'm not suggesting he's being selfish because actually he's working very hard for the people, but he's certainly self-focused in the way that he's going about his leadership at this moment. Second thing I notice is, I think it's fair to say that he seems to be thinking quite reactively here. I think it's interesting that he says the phrase twice, they come to me. So his response to why are you working so hard is, well, they come to me. They they come to me. As if to say, 
There's no other possible response of his. I mean, that's, if you break down the word responsible, it's able to respond, right? Response able. So what Jethro is inserting into the conversation here is like, okay, I get that they come to you, but does that automatically mean you have to work from morning till night, have everyone stand around and do it all yourself? Well, no, actually, let's challenge that assumption. It feels to me like Moses' leadership has become a little reactive here. He certainly has a leadership problem, I would speculate he probably has a boundaries problem as well. Anybody else feeling that that might be the case? I have a hard time saying no or maybe delegating. I don't know. New territory for him. Number three, is he still living like, if you could put it this way, the one man? What I kind of see here uh, is very understandable. Actually, if you look at his story, it's almost a foregone conclusion He was the one that was saved. He was the one that encountered God. He was the one that went before Moses. He was the one, you know, like he's the one with the word, the promise, he leads the way. But you notice kind of in his language here, in fact, he even says in his defense there, I am the one. Now, I'm probably overemphasizing it by taking it out of context, but I am the one that the people come to. There's a little bit of a hint there of of a mindset, isn't there? And it's easy for us to get to that place where our assumption is like, Oh, if you want a job done, do it yourself, right? Would be a modern version of that. Like, I'm going to take action. I need to do it. And, and you know, again, he's doing a noble work. He's doing it for God. He's serving the people with all his heart. And yet it's still true. Jethro's feedback. It's not good. There was another level for him, wasn't there? And so I think it's important for us to make sure that we don't have that kind of a mindset ourselves. And heaven knows how many times I have, as a leader, have had that thought. How many other pastors out there have the I am the one kind of a mindset instead of this idea that we exist to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's a whole different mindset. Amen. Number three, third question. What would the effect of not changing be? I think it's useful for us to just allow the Scripture to speak to us about what had been warned of Moses if he wouldn't change. Verse 17, Jethro says, um, this is not good. And then he says in verse 18, you are going to wear yourself out and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. So I have a couple of reflections on this. Let's, Let's just play it forward. What if Moses doesn't change? If he doesn't heed the word of the Lord here. Well, for one thing, he had this warning, you're going to wear yourself out. Moses, you can't keep this up. I mean, credit to you for working so hard. Power to you for trusting God and leading these people. And, but you know, you're going to wear yourself out. You, you can't finish your race if you're going to run it like this. That's, that's the first thing that I see. The second thing is that he says, you'll wear the people out. He says, you're going to wear yourself out, listen, and the people too. I think that's easier to miss. A lot of times, you know, we, we imagine, oh, you know, that leader, they're working so hard, they're going to they're gonna burn out and we could empathize or criticize depending on our posture. But what we're often not thinking about is the impact on everybody else. It's like, hey, Moses, you might think you can handle it. You might think you can just take it on the chin. But listen, it's not only bad for you and unsustainable for you, but it's not good for everybody else either. You're going to wear them out, right? And then the third thing is kind of something that I pondered is how would Israel have grown So think about it, right? They've just got out of Egypt. This is the remnant. These are the ones. These are the survivors. And at the beginning, he's got to work from morning till night. What's going to happen when people start having babies? I mean, they've got a whole promised land to populate. Anybody think like this was not going to go to scale, right? Something about the Moses model of leadership that had been okay until now had already reached its limit. 
They're going to multiply. In fact, in the very next chapter, he was going to go to the mountain on, the, on Sinai. God was going to give him the word and the Ten Commandments. I, I mean, it's, I can only speculate, but I wonder, would he have even been able to be entrusted yet with the law for the people if he didn't get to a place where he was ready to let others carry the burden of leadership too? Now, they often say the definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing and expect a different result, right? There's another level, Moses, but there's another level for you and I too. Fourth question, what difference would change make? I've been pondering that. What difference would change make? See, some things wouldn't change. You know, he says in verse 19, you should continue being the people's representative and bring in their disputes, teach them. God's decrees, give them his instructions, show them how to conduct their lives. But then it says, but select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes, appoint them as leaders over 1,150 and 10. They should be available to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring the major cases to you. Let the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves and they will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. Listen, if you follow this advice and if God commands you to do so, so there's some humility in the way he's offering this advice. Then you will be able to endure the pressures and all these people will go home in peace. So, you know, one thing that would happen is he would continue to lead, but he would do it without wearing out. That would be one thing that would happen. If he would change, he could lead without wearing out because he'd have others to help him carry the load. He'd keep on being a judge and teaching and being an example, but he was going to do it on a different level. The second thing I noticed is that other people would have opportunities to lead as well. I think that's part of what's sad about the, peop, the line, all the people standing around is not only that they had to wait so long to get a judgment on their case, but that many of the people standing around probably didn't need a judgment. They were perfectly c- capable of making a few judgments themselves. So all of that latent potential that was standing around in the room was being squandered. Other people would have an opportunity to lead. You know, Jethro says, there are, you know, you find leaders of 1,000, 100, 50, 10. In other words, there are levels, right? But everybody's got a spot that they could lead, a difference that they could make, and then another level that they could aspire and grow toward. By the way, the, the dark side of the law of the lid is if I don't, if, say I'm a, a six as a leader, if, if, if there's more for me, but I won't change, I won't, you know, face the challenges, I won't make the hard choices and, and become a seven or an eight or whatever my God-given potential is, guess what? My lid becomes the lid for everybody I'm leading. We've got to think about everybody else too, right? The third thing that'll happen if you'll change is that he could focus on the hardest and most important things. Focus his energy on where he adds the most value, in other words. Fourth, Moses will have endurance, says that in verse 23, you'll be able to endure the pressures. And fifth, the people will have peace. says you'll be able to endure the pressures because, hey, leadership has pressures, right? Next level has different pressure. But you'll be able to endure that if you do it right. And the people will go home in peace. You know, years ago before we planted Liberty Church, I was, uh, I was trained as an executive coach. So for a couple of years, I had like a leadership development practice actually in Australia and worked with some international clients. And a lot of it's based on life coaching principles. And so we used to do a thing, if you had a client who felt like they were stuck at a certain level of leadership or in a certain level of life or in a certain pattern that they couldn't seem to break, if they felt stuck, you do a thing called future pacing. And you could, so you could sit in with them and you say, okay, it's five years from now, 10 years from now, we go out to some point in the future and, you know, and you've, you've broken through in this, you've changed and it's lasted. Tell me what you're seeing. 
Tell me what you're experiencing. How does that feel? And you're getting them to live into the fruit, the benefit, how things are going to be better, how they're going to fit the new confidence and the results that are going to come, right? So you're inspiring them through the positive possibility. There's a second side of the future pace where you turn up the pain. Because how many of you know that sometimes it's not until the pain of staying where I am becomes greater than the pain of change that we actually change. So part of future pacing would be, let's go 10 years into the future and you haven't done what you know today you need to do. You haven't changed. You haven't made better choices. You haven't renewed your mind. You know, what are you experiencing? What's happening now? And it's sometimes not until we recognize the impact or the, the price that we'll pay that we get willing to change. All at once, Jethro does this exact thing really for Moses in so many words. Paints the picture of a better future or the price that he could pay if he's not willing to change. But it strikes me as I begin to kind of wrap this up. Something that's not in the text but feels really important to me is just to ask one last question. I mean, I wonder if we are willing to listen to wisdom. As I was reading this story, I had this sort of side narrative going, which is trying to empathize with Moses, how hard the feedback must have been, especially off the back of all of that success, which oftentimes sets us up to be especially, you know, blind to our faults or our blind spots and because things are going well and that seems like the last time I need to be changing. And I wonder if we are willing to listen to wisdom because I had this thought, hypothetical. What if Moses hadn't have listened to Jethro? And you might think, well, of course he listened. Well, let's suspend that for a minute because Moses could have had some excuses to not listen to Jethro. So put yourself in Moses' shoes for a minute. Okay, he, he had several off-ramps here. Um, one of them you could call familiarity. So he gets this feedback from all people from his father-in-law, right? So it comes from family. How easy might it have been for him to dismiss like, well, like, of course you're gonna be critical or of course you think I could do better. Like, you know me too well or whatever his, he could have dismissed that. It's like, oh, that's just my father-in-law being over-familiar. He has boundary issues, right? <laughs> Who are you to talk to me? Maybe, could have been easy just because of who it came from. What about this second off ramp? He could have used pride. Would have been very natural for Moses off the back of all of that success to be like, I led the people out of Egypt. I mean, me and God, but I led the people, right? He could have gone to pride, right? Like, where were you, man? You weren't there when I was like sweating it out with the plagues and, you know, going through looking at the fish at eye level, you know, and the Egyptian army chasing us down. Like I led the, pride could have stopped him from hearing this. Or maybe experience, if he had the experience filter. Like if he thought to himself, Oh yeah, what, what nation did Jethro lead again? Oh, he didn't lead a nation. That's right, yeah. Yeah, so what do you know about leading a nation, Jethro? Like, I'm out, peace. Thanks for your feedback. But you know, when you've done this, feel free to check back in and tell me what you think, right? I'm sort of playing it up, but isn't this how we filter out advice around us oftentimes? Or maybe assumptions. That was his fourth off-ramp. He could have had an assumption like this. Is like, Jethro, you know, you're gonna have to be around for a hot second before you know what's going on here. Like you arrived yesterday, hello? Like we, just cause we chatted and really bonded over some food and celebrated, doesn't mean you can just rock up today. And the first day you watch me do this, you're like criticizing. Now that's not the spirit of what's happening here, but it would have been easy for Moses to run that filter and to say to him, you know what? Stick around a few months, get to know the people, see how hard my job is. You know, he could have disqualified him saying, you haven't been here long enough. But the, the truth is all of those things would have been false, right? The truth is God was speaking through his father-in-law who interestingly had never led a nation and yet had just arrived 
and was very much the word of the Lord for him if he was willing to receive correction. Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. <laughs> but whoever hates correction is stupid. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't make that up. That's right there in the Bible. You know, I actually was, hand on heart, I, I started to look for another translation. I thought, that's harsh. But I was like, you know, maybe that's just what we need to hear sometimes. It's like, uh, you know, I didn't say it, God said it. Whoever hates correction is stupid. And why is that? It's because if we won't receive correction, then we can't learn the path of knowledge that leads to understanding and the application of all of that, which is wisdom. Sorry for yelling at you. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. So are we willing to receive some discipline from time to time? Are we willing to receive a little correction? Because I believe there's a direct connection between our willingness to grow and our ability to step into our next God-given level of potential. Are we willing to make the choices that lead to our next level? Are we willing to be challenged? Are we willing to change? Because I believe with all my heart, there's more for you. There's more. There's another level for you. In fact, I believe while there's breath, while there's life, there's more. Your life's called to go from strength to strength, from glory to glory, to wind upward until we stand before Him. Amen? So let's not settle. Let's not resist the opportunity to be challenged, to make a different choice, to make a change in our life in order that we could experience the more of God. Amen?